Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2018. Episode 233, Deconstructing Religion in Your Games. Presented by Shoshana Kesek and James Mendez Hodes. Come back. I've worked in uh, stuff for about, geez, it's like 12 years now. Um, and uh, most recently, I've been working for things like, uh, you can close? Yeah, totally. Um, I worked for places like uh, John Wick Presents on 7th C. Um, and she's like, I freelance for a lot of different companies. So, plus doing my own stuff. Um, and right now, I'm, I'm moving over to working in interactive theater as a, a narrative lead at Meow Wolf out in Santa Fe. So, I'm, I'm diversifying a lot of what I'm working on. And when I'm not doing that, I'm an academic about topics in, in LARP design and, and tabletop design. So, uh, we came up with this idea of panel about deconstructing religion in games. We're going to talk a little bit about different ways that that works. But first, James Mendez Hodes, everybody. Hey, what's good? Uh, I'm James Mendez Hodes. Most people call me Mendez because there's like 20 Jameses at this convention. <laughs> I was like, awesome kind of game designer. Um, uh, I write, develop, edit, and sensitivity read role-playing games. Uh, I've worked a lot with Shoshana on 7th C. Um, what else have I worked on that you might care about? Uh, Scion, 2nd mm-hmm. edition. I wrote four pages of Monster Hearts, which I'm super proud of. I always cite that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started working on the Event Horizon tabletop. Should be fun. Um, yeah, I live in Metuchen, New Jersey, which is in the greater New York metropolitan area. And uh, my academic background, uh, my undergraduate major was in religion, and I focused mostly on West African and Afro-Atlantic religion, and my minors were in English lit and dance, and dance was martial arts and like North Indian classical dance, which got me into Indian stuff, and then uh, in graduate school I got a master's in Eastern classics, so like great books of Japan, China, and India, and a lot of that was also religion stuff, so... Here I am. And we represent, I think, like two very, like the different sides of the hemispheres. So I did uh, theology as a minor as well when I was in school. I read a lot about theology. Uh, I come from an Orthodox Jewish background and then uh, explored the world, you know, the rest of the religious world by studying it. Um, And then, of course, when I started doing creative stuff, I, you know, started looking at from, I suppose, what you would call an outside, outside of Christianity perspective about what Western culture uh, looked like and what that, how that is influencing a lot of our media. So that's where this sort of panel was birthed out of. Um, uh, I did a game uh, over the last year, a couple of years, called Keeping the Candles Lit, which was a LARP uh, from the Warbirds anthology about uh, 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 dynasties of Jewish women uh, fighting during World War II in partisan uh, camps. And, but really the game is about like losing your culture and your religion as you're like being uprooted out of it by war and change. And uh, it made me start thinking about uh, writing games that were Jewish. Like that, what does it mean to write a game that is Jewish? What does it mean to like think of worlds that were Jewish influenced? 
And what I realized was, you know, if you know anything about uh, Jewish history, uh, it's a history of being uh, constantly interrupted by conflict, having your culture interrupted by multiple uh, con uh, conquerings by the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the, and the eventual destruction of the temple and the country by the Romans in biblical times. And all that stuff basically means that the culture was interrupted in its sort of evolution. And so when you try to think about what it is to create a game that is Jewish, how do you, like, what do you look at the narrative? Is it the way that it is now with a culture that is a diaspora and interrupted and such? Or do you look back at the origins and sort of try to imagine and extrapolate what, what would a world be like if that cultural interruption hadn't happened? And that sort of gave birth to me, like, deconstructing a lot of these uh, ideas that we have baked into our games and realizing where those come from. And what I came down to, frankly, as my you know hypothesis and thesis, is that our, our, our games culture especially is very Western uh, as, a, as a medium, as an art form and a community. And what that comes with is a lot of baked in uh, assumptions that come from uh, what people call Judeo-Christian you know, uh, mythology and, and uh, religious uh, uh, association. But really, I hate, by the way, the term Judeo-Christian. They're very different things. Don't associate them. They're totally different cultures. And uh, but what we're talking about largely is Western Christianization of, of our society, especially in America. Even though people say that that's not the case, it's not. It really is. Like it's baked into our culture. So thinking about game design, I'm going to toss questions in a second. Yeah. This is the intro. But um, when we're looking at our games and even our mechanics, like our very baseline stuff, the norms that we come into things with have these baked in ideas. And so when we're confronting how to deconstruct religion in games, like from the ground up, we gotta start and then talk about how we're representing religion in games uh, and what religions we're representing. So uh, this is gonna be a very fast, like let's dive deep and then go this way as quickly as we can in an hour. Um, so uh, I wanna start with like, you know, you're coming from a very, like a more, like you have the perspective of Western culture, but you've also studied a great deal of Eastern culture. Mm -hmm. um, so um, what do you think are, are some of the like, the things that are baked in that are uh, very Western, that are in our design, like very, like on the basis, like this is gonna sound like we have to go to brass tacks to mm -hmm. even look at this. Yeah. But what do you think is like some of the big things that are baked in that are very Western Christianized ideas that are, yeah. Okay, so uh, Western Christianity came through, was came to us filtered through a lot of different sources. There was a period when the Muslim world was the bastion of Western civilization, because Western civilization died in the Black Death, and they had to make a new one. But the um, the Muslim world held on to many of the expressions. The entire ancient Greek language, for example, comes to us because there were Middle Eastern scholars who brought it to us. So this this idea of this, even an idea that Western still comes to us with uh, a lot of influence from the from the Middle East, but. Uh, I see two poles, two kind of dominant paradigms in how games approach religion. And one of them comes from Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's this idea of a religion that has faith. Uh, you have to believe in something that you don't see. Uh, it has membership. You belong to the religion or you don't belong to it. It's a club. And then the club has officers, which are priests or something like that. Um, it has rules and morality that govern your social behavior. Um, it has a relationship to government, uh, but doesn't isn't necessarily the government. Um, so there are a whole bunch of these a whole bunch of these qualities, which in the modern in modern times we trace them to Christianity, but in terms of their 
like their religious genealogy and the way in which they might be related to Judaism or Islam or anything like that, um, I find it's often useful to go way, way, way further back and look at Zoroastrianism and Manichaeism as sort of the origin of these ideas and the reason why um, we are in a place to say things like Judeo-Christian at all, like why that makes even the remotest bit of sense to us. Mm. Um, so, so that's one that's one paradigm, and then the other one is uh, is Greek, um, specifically Greek polytheistic. So, uh, for example, in Dungeons and Dragons, you have different gods whom you can adhere to, and the the structure of that pantheon comes from, uh, I think, the Greek dodecatheon and similar religious ideas. So those are those two poles, and um, those are both, I think, important in the understanding of Christianity because of the influence of Greece on Christian thought. So when Christianity came through Greece and the Greek philosophers started debating Christianity, uh, their, uh, their view of religion that they had been thinking about since Zeus and so forth, that ended up uh, coloring our view of Christianity. So those are those two poles that I see. And a lot of the religion that we end up finding in um, in games ends up being in one of those two one of those two areas are on the spectrum between them um, if it's given like a fair shake yeah and I think uh, what, what's interesting to me about that is um, when people want to make make strange do people know what that term means it's basically if they want to take away from the, what we consider the norm in our world they actually tend to, to harken back to things like like paganism and the dodecathon because that is on a like a, as far away from uh, or as far as people will consider away from uh, monotheism as possible that they're sort of comfortable with right mm -hmm. because I think most people grew up reading the Greek myths or like in school, people made it a big deal to do that. So they're like, oh, okay, if we're gonna go away from representing religion too closely from our world, we're just gonna grab the, the latest thing that feels comfortable to us, which is let's do a, a pantheon of gods. And so fantasy oftentimes falls into that, I think in a way of like making strange the system or the setting a little bit more, rather than reaching for something that's a little bit more what people would consider esoteric or, or Eastern even, like they, they don't wanna go too far away right. from what people are comfortable with. Right, we wanna other somebody, but we can't other you know the actual other because then <laughs> they right. might get upset or try to conquer us or something, or something like that. undermine our values. So let's let's just find some white people whom we can other and then we can then we won't have to worry about it because we're not offending people, right? right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but then also on top of that, what I find interesting is that sometimes... Uh, Mike, they Mike that was sarcasm. That was sarcasm. <laughs> just so you know, you can't see my face, so... <laughs> um, uh, but then, uh, especially on top of that, I find that a lot of games will then create sort of the mystical other. Right, which is they don't want to do it as a as a bad thing, right? But they'll create the the sort of Eastern slash, you know, spiritual enlightenment, uh, glossing over the fact that it's such a complicated friggin' you know, uh, huge nuanced situation. But they'll take the the very basic uh, Buddhist ideas and like try to put that together into a into a the monks and these these ways of like projecting that into the game. Uh, and so these are sort of like the the, the archetypes that I think that people find comfortable uh, that, that come into games often. Um, I even want to step back for a second, though, and talk about just, like, norms that we see in our games that were influenced by Christian thought. Like, and by the way, when I say Christian thought, I'm not bragging on stuff. I'm just saying that this is the large influence. So when we're talking about things like gender norms, when we're talking about things like holidays that we put into our games, one of the things that I, I often find kind of ridiculous is 
why in Harry Potter they have Yule and like I'm sorry like uh, Christmas Harry Potter is a it, you know technically they say that there are people of all religions and that you know I know that in Britain by the way it's like a huge deal like everybody has Christmas even though it's like not necessarily a religious holiday but I always found it interesting that like they keep talking about the fact that there are you know characters of all religions and that but there are there is Christmas and it's like these things that you that you have to that you sort of have to deal with in games um, these are Christianized thoughts these are you know uh, these are things that are baked in. The way that uh, gender is handled uh, is absolutely westernized. It absolutely comes from church influence. Uh, and these are things that we then port into our game designs and into our world building and even to our mechanics in some cases. Um, and so when you're looking at how to strip that down, it's really hard, I think, to like go back and say, how much has the influence of Christianity influenced our thought as a society? And how to then, if we're trying to world build out of that, do we strip that away? It's really hard. Um, it is almost impossible, I think, in some cases, to look at the world and say, what would the world be like without the spread of Christianity? That's like a huge thing to think about. How many cultures can you think about that were interrupted and changed so drastically? Um, and so, uh, you know, even the concepts that we have, because I've studied a little bit about Vikings and, and uh, the cultures of, of, you know, the Scandinavian countries and how that was influenced, the early cultures that were, you know, uh, uh, not monotheistic, the words escaped me completely. Pagan. Pagan, thank you. Um, uh, what we see that lens through now is the stories being told later in a lot of cases by Christians, so, and, and again, about um, uh, Mesoamericans and, and such. Like All these are coming from sources that have been usually Christianized very heavily, uh, and so trying to figure out what that even looked like before those influences is really hard. Um, and so then putting it into our games is you're still gonna be baking these ideas in even when you don't try because our mindsets have been so influenced as people. Um, so to be game designers in this case, if we really wanted to deconstruct religion, we sort of have, have to deconstruct our own thought processes about some very basic things in our culture, about food, about the way we handle re uh, relationships, marriage, um, you know, uh, combat, death. How do we look at death? Like that's a huge one, right? Um, you know, at the idea of an afterlife and how it's handled is extremely different, but very Christianized here. The idea that there's a heaven and a hell in most games, like D in D and D, there are you know there's underworlds and stuff that that comes from Greece and many other places. But how many times is it classified as the Christianized hell that we think of from Dante's Inferno, right? So these are all things that world building wise, I think are super important to think about. Um, uh, how have you seen just to, to switch a little bit? How have you seen games that have actually tackled that well? Do you think that have deconstructed things in an interesting new way um, things that have games that have deconstructed things in an interesting new way most of the most of the ones that I can think about that I can think of are stuff that we've worked on <laughs> um, nothing to make ourselves feel good or anything but yeah yeah um, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm gonna have to think about that a little bit but um, I think that uh, yeah Come back to me at the end of okay. this because it's. I'm, Give it a little thinking. Right, right now, my. Yeah, you have some suggestions. Is there a Discworld game? Ooh, I don't think there. There was a, there was a Discworld RPG, and I remember Kit's criticism. My friend Kit's criticism of it was, "This would be a great game if Terry Pratchett GM'd every session." <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's a that's a good point. Uh, Discworld does deconstruct. Um, uh, a lot of interesting ideas, specifically in in this paradigm with the the Greek stuff on one pole and then uh, Christianity on the other pole, and it, it represents both of those things. Um, and it talks about a lot of sort of the basic building blocks of of these two things. Um, 
which is which is really important because part of this one of the parts of this process is interrogating the concept like the definition of a religion um, and what things tend to be actually classified as a religion and what things tend to be classified as uh, as something else philosophies or lifestyles or right cults sets of beliefs or practices just ways of dodging the word religion yeah um, so yeah I'm gonna let me think about that. Yeah, I'm going to like sit bolt upright in the middle of the night and remember some stuff. <laughs> you wanna, yeah. Oh, it's more of a thought than an actual question. Of, um, I'm sort of working on an idea of um, if there's a fixed calendar, what happens to people, say, like a lunar calendar, like Islam, where it rotates through seasons? Yep. So those holidays will never end up being at the same time, same season. Yeah, it's the same for Judaism. We're on the, we're yeah. on the lunar calendar also. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because you don't see, that's another westernized idea that just yeah. gets baked into things. Um, and there's also things like solstices that are, that move slightly, not but, but a lot, but there are, the, the, the structures that people look at in their games are, so it, it, this brings up an interesting point, is that um, when you're creating a game, um, you're creating something new and you're handing it to the players, but you're also, in, in a sense, having a dialogue about a toolkit that you're handing them to tell stories, right? So when you're handing them something, um, you might come, you might want to, for example, include a lunar calendar, but your players um, generally are going to be, even though games now are being taken to other countries and being translated into, which is wonderful, and I think it's like the best thing that's happened is like, they're playing like these games in Brazil and they're being translated in Europe and everything. The problem is, is that you're creating a shorthand sometimes that you're trying to engage with with the players so that they can absorb the material and not be overloaded by it. The problem is that that means sometimes that you're relying on the fact that people are only familiar with uh, you know, an, a solar calendar, right? So how much new detail do you want to throw at them um, by creating an entire new world building that they have to then adjust to in their games? Uh, how much do you want to change before it becomes too much? And that's a balance of uh, some, I've, I've read a lot of games that I find really fascinating uh, especially indie games that are really fascinating that are like we're gonna create this entire new world and it's gonna have all these new like rules and physics is different and religion is different and all this stuff and eventually your brain just goes I can't process this much new information so um, sometimes it becomes a picking your battles thing like is the lunar calendar important is it um, uh, is it the thing that you want to put in uh, when I did keeping the candles lit um, like my, my word count was like this big uh, and I had to try to fit Judaism <laughs> into like this word count with a game because the game heavily pulls on important morals and, and values and, and traditions. How do you take the idea of the Sabbath, which most people don't understand necessarily why it's important, and put it into a paragraph? And that's like distilling that information down because I could have written a treatise on why this is important and then trying to hand it to people to play who may literally have never met a Jew before. Like, what do you do with it? I had somebody who was like, I know nothing about Judaism. I'm going to go play the grandma. And I was like... We're going to find out if this works. <laughs> um, I thought of a couple of games. Oh, good. Okay. okay, so uh, a couple of games that I think deconstruct religious ideas or run on different religious paradigms really well. Um, one is Tenrobancho Zero. It's, one, it's a game from Japan. It was written in Japan by Japanese people and was recently, a few years ago, translated into English. It's, it's really cool. has awesome art. Kind of sexist art, but the stuff that doesn't involve boobs is great um and uh yeah how do you spell that uh we'll do afterwards we'll, uh, we'll write some stuff down for you just yeah to, yeah yeah but it's a it's a japanese name and it's 
about feudal Japan advanced to sort of a Final Fantasy level of Magi technology. And so there are a lot of different weird character types based on feudal Japanese archetypes as reinterpreted and exaggerated by Japanese people themselves, which is great. Um, so one of the character types, for example, is a Shinto priest. And in this setting, the, the Shinto priests are capable of connecting to... Um, the Shinto priests are capable of connecting to a, a spirit network using these uh, using these masks that they have that are part magic part technology um, and they can um, they can they're the the technocrats of this world and the the spirit network this like shinternet that they connect to <laughs> I love it um, uh, yeah I'll, it's um, you know it's it's overlaid on the real world and it shares it shares airspace with the real world it's they exist not in parallel not separately but as part of the same uh as part of the same universe um which is uh which is often uh which is pretty rare i think they did that in legends of korra also if you think about that that yeah the big the big trope at the end of what i loved about the end of season two of legend of korra was that spoiler alert guys but yeah oh yeah well um so it's it's not really a, a huge thing, and you should skip season two. But um, <laughs> so uh, the world of Avatar: The Last Airbender starts out with the real world and the spirit world being parallel universes which are separate from one another. This is not how Chinese, Japanese, and Korean cosmology works. Uh, the spirits and real people they live in the same world. The gods live in heaven, but heaven is the literal sky. Uh, hell is deep underneath the earth. If you dug deep enough, you would find hell, and people would probably be annoyed, and so would you. Um, so, the so the end of season two resolves with the real world and the spirit world starting to come back together, which brings it back towards um, how Eastern thought actually works. And I thought that that was a, a very responsible choice. Um, so yeah, so that's one thing, and then another one is is Nahual, which is a Mexican yeah. RPG about uh, shapeshifters from Mexican mythology fighting back against conquistador angels, um, and that's really weird. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it it definitely it was here this weekend. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, um, Sam. So I read the the uh, Shinto in Tenra is that they're pretty sinister, like they're. Religion is sort of kind of is kind of a fraud, and it's not really divine. They kind of use it to control people, and like these different factions fighting. They're overall kind of keeping humanity in, in darkness. Um, yeah, that's 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 a lot of religions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Here we are. Like, what do you think about the choice to take a, a real world religion that people care about and make it the bad guys, and how to do that in a so I think that there's a couple of things going on. First of all, the power dynamic is very different if it's Japanese people making up this religion yes. and you know describing it as sinister versus somebody else. Uh, so in 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 Japanese history, uh, there would be these times when whenever the 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 Shinto priesthood or the Buddhist uh, the Buddhist uh, monastic uh, community or individual Shinto priesthoods or Buddhist monastic communities in specific areas had a political problem with someone. Whenever an emperor retired and they didn't want that emperor to retire, or they got a new emperor that nobody liked, something like that. Um, they would, they'd all get together. Um, they'd get, uh, they'd get their cool shrine which has a god in it. They'd put it on a palanquin 
and then they would charge down into a city and then stand in the middle of the city doing a direct action protest, which sometimes got violent. Um, so there's there's a long history of um, Shinto and Buddhist clergy in Japan uh, getting deeply involved in politicking and, and treachery and uh, intrigue and stuff like that. Um, the same way that you would see, you know, Pope Alexander uh, or Cardinal Richelieu in, in Western literature or fiction or something like that, uh, you know, scheming and rubbing their hands together and so forth. So, um, so I think that com coming from a Japanese perspective to to criticize these people, to criticize these people as like this sinister technocratic elite, which is um, which might be out of touch with real people and which might be using its powers for uh, political gain, um, that fits with uh, the the real canon or like the real uh, experience of feudal Japanese people with their religions. And um, it, yeah, and I think that, you know, in the overall question, because like, to mm -hmm. draw it back to yeah. religions in general, like, I think that there is, you know, we have to, re if we're going to include religions in our in our games, and, and we are, like, especially if we're going to draw either direct parallels or use religions that actually exist in the world, we have to legitimately look at the history of these religions and look at what has been done and what that what that looks like, and we can't ignore um, the the sort of downsides to religions that have occurred, and and, and uh, sort of whitewash them. And I'm going to say it that way, honestly, whitewash them in a lot of ways, or or sugarcoat what has happened. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, you know, speaking as somebody who comes from an outside of a Christian perspective and who was raised that way. And when I say, by the way, raised that way, I was raised extremely orthodox, which meant I really didn't have that much of a context. I didn't know that there was a different kind of Christian except Christian until I was like 16. I thought, yeah, everybody was Christian, that was pretty much it, if you were Christian. I didn't know there were sects. No concept. Um, so to give you that idea, when you look at it from an outside of a, a Christian perspective, like the history of, and I know I sound like I'm picking, I pro, I, I'm sorry, but like it, um, the history of, of, of conquering and cultural disruption and uh, repression and violence especially is a mainstay of the history. Now, on top of that, however, you know, you're looking at the, the, the good that has been done and the, and the nurturing and the, and the culture itself and, and good people who are, who are living that life. It's, it's hard, however, when you don't, when you include it to say, okay, we're just gonna represent it in a good way. Um, there are ways to say, okay, we, we have to look at, for example, putting the Crusades into a game. Uh, I'm writing a game called Ark Song right now, which is uh, in space, 23rd century, and one of the bad guys is literally, one of the groups is called the Cerisian Crusade, which is literally what happens in the future when the church thinks that like certain things in space are the devil, effectively, and they get on ships and they're like, we're going to destroy this to purify the universe of the devil's touch. That is what the Crusaders did. They went to you know places and they said, we're going to reconquer this for, for Christianity, and if y'all are there, you're basically the devil's influence and, and we're going to kill it. And there's a lot of politics in it, of course, but you have to realize that like these things did exist and you can choose how you're going to represent the religion. We also have, however, Christianity as a religion in our song in the future, and people are just Christians and like living their lives and doing what they're doing. So having, a, in my opinion, a balanced representation is important. Like, if you're going to say that, you know, you're going to have negative uh, aspects of religion, you also have to look at the, at the positives and balance that out in, in representation as best you can, even, even and especially when you're creating fictional ones that have um, correlations, uh, which we can talk a little bit about for doing 7C. Yeah. Which was a lot of what we did for 7C was, if you're not familiar with 7C, it's uh, set in a, a, I keep saying 16th century, but it's 17th century, really. Yeah. Yeah, a, a world that is a, a, a very seriously large parallel to our own that has magic in it but it's, it's different and it's got a lot of monsters and it's pirate themed 
Uh, but a lot of the countries and the religious groups are direct correlations to the ones we have in our world. Um, you know, the Vatican Church. <laughs> there it is. Um, but it's the Vatican Church embraces things like, uh, you know, technology and, and evolution and being more progressive in certain places more than others um, and is influenced largely by Christianity and, and Islam in certain places. So it was translated and, and then, you know, there was uh, working on, on Kitai and, and the, the Eastern cultures. Um, you know, we had to look at how do you translate these things, the good and the bad, uh, and not make it an exact parallel um, while still keeping sort of that cultural shorthand that we were talking about, you know, a few minutes ago. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. I, um, to talk a little bit, we, the Vatican Church came from first edition, of, of, and we sort of got a chance to put our hands in and massage a little bit around and do some mm -hmm. cool things with it. Yeah, we worked on, on second edition, just yeah. second edition. Um, but we got a chance to do some updates, which I thought were really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and we got to interrogate certain things like the representation of gender, queer issues in the Vatican Church. Um, and that was fun. Uh, <laughs> my theme, I kept saying like, let's make it more queer, just go. Um, and how does the Vatican Church look about look at at women and, and non-binary people? And, and also, how do they interact with, with um, cultures that would be considered pagan in other parts of the world, and what does that look like? And uh, there is an inquisition, you know, in 7C that comes out and says, but they're against magic, really, in that world, and they go after magic, really, more than anything else. Um, and then we had to do other religions as well. Mm -hmm. Like, we had to do pagan religions, and uh, I got to translate the Egyptian pantheon uh, and created Judaism for, for 7C uh, in, in Sarmian, uh, which was Israel, Palestine area or Judea, really, for that time period. So let's talk a little bit about that, because we, we got a chance to really get in there a lot. Um, sure. So what was, what was your experience? How did you feel doing that? Because that was, that was a lot of research. So, it was a lot of time. Yeah, uh, it, it took a lot of research. And so 7C is, is an alternate. It's an alternate universe version of the world. Not a lot of things in 7C in this alternate uh, 17th century are named the exact same thing they are in the real world and if you aren't familiar with some of the, the history or mythology or literature surrounding uh, some of these places and times and settings you're not going to be able to trace them to things in the real world sometimes other times other times it's pretty easy to figure out that okay well this the name of this country is the name of the real country that was also in that place just the letters are rearranged and they change the spelling um, so I think one of the one of the most important lessons from working on a property like this is that the fact that you're doing an alternate universe serial numbers filed off version of something in the real world is not an excuse. So if if I'm going to say, well, all right, so this this religion that I'm writing, it's not Islam, it's Al Din, and that that's our different name for it. So of course they're not real Muslims. So I can say whatever the hell I want because real Muslims won't actually care about this thing, which has so many signifiers that point to real Islam. No, I do not get out of trouble for doing that. People will put two and two together. I'm putting two and two together when I make it. Other people will definitely put two and two together when they read it. So, um, and, and this is actually even true of things that you didn't make on purpose. When we create fiction, when we create fantasy, it always has touchstones. It always has cultural content that comes from our own experience. Nothing that we made up is ever whole cloth. So when you make something, even if you're trying to make something that is fantasy, that is not in the real world, you still have a responsibility to how that affects real people to whom those signifiers point. 
if you're orcs, uh, if you don't think of your orcs as people of color, and you just think of them as uh, giant, brutish, scary humanoids with a different skin color who were made evil and oh, okay, maybe all right, maybe maybe you should maybe you should think about how that affects people of color, you know? Or, so or goblins with big noses, who are all about money and yeah, all right. 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 By the way, I never got that association. Like sometimes this shit would go over my head because I wasn't raised to think about it. So like when people were like Harry Potter, those goblins are a little anti-Semitic, and I was like, they're just cool little dudes with like, oh, oh God, all right, wait. So like, like I I never learned by the way that in Narnia, like Narnia was supposed to be a Christian allegory. I was like, it's a cool lion. What's up? And like, and then they were like Jesus, and I was like. Really? <laughs> He's a kitty. What's up? Like I just didn't get it. So like, yeah. like, but understand that people will. Yeah. And like, maybe people who are naive like me wouldn't do it. But like, there is going to be mm-hmm. conversation about these things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, uh, Miriam. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the one thing that I picked up very quickly, but um, other people around me at least didn't seem to pick up because again, it's the whole dwarves are Ju- uh, sorry, not Jewish. Dwarves are Scottish is that the dwarves in the Witcher world are, and because it's in, by a Polish author and a Polish yep. sort of an outlook of everything, that the dwarves, I felt like, were actually representative of Jews. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cultural thing. So, like, yeah, it's absolutely, like, for example, uh, uh, so religions are seen through the lens especially of uh, uh, designers that come from different places, which uh, I think that was important that you mentioned earlier, is that um, the game that you mentioned, Zero... Tenrobansho Zero, Ten yeah. Zero. Made in Japan by Japanese people. Right. You're gonna, like, that is so important, and I was gonna say it at the end, but I wanna, you know, now say it, is that games that are written by people from that religion or that culture are super important and need to be fostered and to be brought into the community so that we can get those perspectives because as you're saying the witcher has a different perspective on the religions because of their cultural reference in their country right if somebody is going to be coming from japan tackling issues of you know the the shinto net um it's going to come differently than if um i did it with my like research i did on wikipedia and three books Right, and as much as I can try to be culturally sensitive, I am going to still come at it from a lens of a Western, uh, um, you know, ostensibly white, you know, uh, Jewish woman. Right, like that's still going to be my perception. I can try to be as uh, sensitive as possible, but until I hand it to somebody who actually is more experienced than uh, one of the examples was when we were doing for Kita. Uh, for Kitai, uh, uh, I started doing some of the design on Chimera, and Chimera basically being Australia. Uh, and uh, Chimera is interesting because I had to I had done some research on uh, Aboriginal cultures uh, for a book that I was writing uh, years ago, and I became fascinated with the idea of like uh, the dreaming or the dream time, and, and, and the uh, but understanding that is very difficult um, because that cultural context that we have as as white folk uh, trying to understand that is way off. Like every representation I've ever seen in media is so far off from the actual philosophical thought. Um, the closest I came was a, was a show called Clever Man, which is maybe the closest I've seen, and it's still off. And like when I did some research in like first, um, first person narratives and, and from that culture, I realized just how far we don't have the language to actually talk about this. Like our English language does not translate properly. And so uh, I handed it off to a sensitivity reader who is from Australia, from Aboriginal culture, and they didn't have a lot of time to do it, so it was very like quick pass of the ideas I had, and they were like, "You're gonna get close, but you're not gonna get there. Like you're you're just not, and it's gonna be a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's gonna be about as close as you can get. Um, that is a thing that's gonna happen. Like this is the lens that we're gonna be bringing. 
but um, if they were writing it, for example, but then writing about like Jews that live in the area, right? Their cultural perspective of outside things is going to be different as well. So um, it's 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 so difficult because we are the arbit like designers, the game designers that you're coming. Even if you're just a GM at your table, we are the arbiters of the lens by which this information is being you know given. And uh, it's it's really difficult to say unless you're getting a first person designer to do it, like uh, if it's going to be, uh, you know, authentic. And then what part of the world are they from? Like if you're going to write about Buddhism in a game, a Buddhist from the West and a Buddhist from the East, the like Eastern uh, culture or one culture. Even if you go to you know, if you go to the Philippines versus if you go to mm-hmm. Southern California, right? Buddhism, yeah. it's super different. Um, I mean, you could talk a little bit more to that. Like, yeah. Um, so I think one of the one of the important lessons, specifically about about this topic, which we we, t- we touched on earlier, but I I want to boil it down to like a like a one sentence maxim is, um, or two sentence maxim. We'll see how many sentences it takes me. Um, so, I think absolutely everyone should design outside their own experience because otherwise I, I don't want to be locked into just writing about Filipinos. So. I want to write about other things. I want that to be okay, and I don't want everything I write to be an autobiography, like I'm trying to make the bestseller list or something. Um, So absolutely, you should do research, work with sensitivity readers, and make things that are outside your own experience. That's great. We all have to do it if we're going to be creative. It's going to be harder when you do it, but we should totally, totally do it. This is a lot of sentences. However, if if you if you're curious about where to stop and how much you're allowed to do um one thing that's one really safe thing is to leave criticizing marginalized cultures to people from those marginalized cultures they don't need your help with that they definitely need your help with representation they definitely want you to make things where they can see themselves being awesome in media um but like i'm asian i write about a lot of asian stuff and i don't worry too much about it but um, uh, and I have like, uh, I have a, so I was really interested in like the, the spread of like hashtag me too kind of stuff within Buddhist communities. I've been reading about that a lot, uh, in the news recently. And I was thinking when I, when I got on the, the India setting for 7th C, I was like, all right, we're going to have a lot of Buddhism and, uh, we're going to have a, a strict, we're going to have a critique of Buddhist sexism and how the monastic structure caused these power dynamics. And, and then I realized I don't want to do this yeah. because I'm, I'm not, I'm not Indian and I'm not Buddhist and I'm I, I'm totally I feel totally comfortable drawing on my degree and talking to Indians and writing about India but I don't want to be I don't want to be the one talking about Indian or Tibetan Buddhism and talking about the abuses there as if it's the only religion where that kind of thing happens yeah. that's not that's not the that's not my perspective that's not what I want to do so totally happy to write outside my own experience criticizing outside my own experience i will i try not to do that on the other side i think you know uh yeah i had a similar experience when remember we talked about uh when i wanted to do like as a woman i wanted to put forward and uh you know the idea that there are places in which uh you know religion honestly you know um, represses women and like that's an important part of certain uh, countries that we were talking about uh, if we're making that analog and then realize that like this is punching down like I this is not like where I need to put that and if people wanted to bring that in at their table that's one thing but I don't need to put it in as a part of the setting because whether or not we really want to as designers um, there is an authoritarian voice that goes into the text like you can be creating a toolbox for people but understand that if you put a hammer in there you're saying the hammer belongs here 
And so, uh, you know, if you go in and you say, this setting has this religion, and one of the things that's baked into this religion is these wonderful, amazing things, however, sexism is a huge problem, what you're actually saying is that, like, sexism is a tentpole of this religion because you are setting the standard. Somebody might not necessarily then go and say, I'm going to go read three books and treatises on how complex this religion is, but if you put it in there, they're going to take that as a, as a thing to play with and run with. And so you can end up inadvertently, even though you're trying to make interesting things and also be appropriate to the ups and downs of a religion, you have to realize that you've just signaled to the players that this is like a major thing that they should be exploring and a major way that they should look at this religion. And if it is a an, an, an allegory or a, you know a, a close comparison to a religion that we have in our world, understand that that's also now the the like corollary that people are going to be making in their head. So that's a that's now you're you're now creating cultural commentary in a way that perhaps you don't want to do or that maybe you shouldn't do. Um, I'm going to take the question in a second, but I also wanted to add that there is a... I think there's also a difference, however, between which religions that you kind of do that for, um, because there's a difference between the term of punching up and punching down, uh, if people are familiar with that term. Uh, punching up basically is... Like, if you're making commentary about negative things about dominant culture, it's very different than if you are picking something that is considered an other or a, or, or a minority or a marginalized population. If you then start, uh, you know, making negative commentary about that, you're basically punching down on a population that's already um, already marginalized and having trouble and, and such. So, you know, if you're writing a Western game, for example, and you're writing about India, um, you're already introducing to a population that is less known and... Uh, not necessarily the majority in our part of the world, uh, and so now if you start including things that are that are negative, you're now punching down on a culture a that's not yours, and b that doesn't necessarily need negative press uh, or negative associations, and so you're now punching down. I feel differently about dominant culture. Uh, I feel that like commentary on on you know uh, Christianity and Judeo-Christian thought and stuff like that is interrogating our culture or our shared culture that we have you know on the Western side, and it's very hard to punch down into that. At the same time, you still have to be conscious of the fact that there are people from those cultures that are going to have their own feelings about it. So uh, it's, a, it's a delicate balance, uh, but certainly the punching down aspect is, is super important to me. Um, we had some, I, I want to sort of go around because we're going to, I think this is a good time for questions because we've got about yeah, 15 we got, minutes. So, yeah, 15 yeah, minutes. About it. So let's start this way because you had your hand up for a little while. So, um, so I just wanted to, first, one thing that Althea was just saying right now is like I think if there's an importance to talk about people as people as opposed to religion as monoliths yes and that's that can separate a lot of that like like the question about making um, a religion uh, sinister you talk about how the people are using the religion not necessarily that the religion is and that can that can help create that nuance um, that keeps things from looking dark but I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, the responsibility we have as world builders to um, the people who are going to be reading our games for instance like you said, um, you didn't originally even realize that Narnia was a Christian allegory. And we need to, the idea that when people are playing our games, and I'm even thinking, like I'm thinking about us when we were in high school and we started playing these games, and mm. we didn't know that these these were analogs, you know? It, like Drow being like a huge example yeah. of that. And how, what, what responsibility do we have and how can we help navigate that? Yeah. Um, so. The giant robot of offense is the thing that I keep talking about this weekend. So there's three levels on which you can evaluate whether something's going to offend people or not. Um, so form the legs. Good intentions. No one cares about your good intentions. It doesn't matter if you have good intentions. No one's going to read them. No one's going to see them. doesn't matter. Um, if you have a robot that's just 
two legs, and that's it. They're going to fall over and hit someone, and no one's going to know that you were trying to build something to kill a kaiju. Doesn't matter. No one cares. And yet, you need good intentions to build the other parts of the robot. Second level, form arms and body. Your work is internally not offensive, right? If someone reads it, someone understands it, they'll realize you yourself are not racist, sexist, homophobic, ableist, whatever. You're safe. The work itself does not seem to be promoting offensive ideologies. But the third level, form the head. This is the part that's really important, because if you just have the arms and body and the legs, someone else can put a head on it and then misuse it. And this is what we have to worry about as game designers, because we're going to make stuff and put it out into the world, and other people are going to take it, twist it, use it, remix it, hack it, and everything, uh, even more so than with other media. Um, and they're going to use it to do things. They're going to act stuff out at LARPs, at the table. They're going to be speaking in character as these people. And this is the level where we have to worry because this is where we're most vulnerable, but where we also have the most control as game designers over how people think. We are both more vulnerable and more able to deal with this problem. So what you have to think about, first of all, I think, is the experience at the table of the players, right? So the experience at the table of the players, if you're doing something and trying to make it historically accurate, that's great. That's really important. It's still probably less important than the experience of people at the table, right? If I want to make something that's historically accurate and depict, you know, racist behavior in a, in a certain game or in a certain setting, like that's a, that's a great way to get to level two, right? But if I want to get to level three, I have to think about the fact that if I put that racist villain in that game, then I'm asking someone to sit there and act out racism at the table um, maybe with their friends, but also maybe with strangers at a convention. And I have to think about what that experience is going to be like and how I can keep someone safe who doesn't know necessarily that, oh, I had good intentions. I was just trying to be historically accurate. I really didn't want to be racist. So that's the, the core of that responsibility for, for me as a game designer is the experience of people sitting around a table and playing your game and how they're going to feel in that moment. So that's where it starts. Um, and then moving moving outward from that responsibility, um, then we get to a lot of other things about like people want to be seen in work. They want to be represented in the media. They want to have games that are about them. Um, and yes, the, and that's important too. Um, it's extremely important. And I think we have a responsibility to represent a wide diversity of viewpoints, both in the media and among our creators in terms of who we collaborate with and who we hire. Um, but that's the that's the order in which I think about the importance of representation and my responsibility to the table as a designer. Um, so this is actually where you and I sort of differ. differ. Sure. Um, I so if we're talking about the kaiju fighter, yeah. um, I believe that from the ground up, um, when you're designing a game, it is important that you make your intention clear. Um, so there's an idea in media of death of the author, right? Like you're going to put a piece out there and it's going to live on its own. And what you're saying is basically mm -hmm. true. It's going to go out there, even if you're writing a piece of fiction and people aren't going to necessarily know your intentions. But because we write, like with, especially that's with books, like books, movies, people are going to guess. And even if there are interviews with an author, people are going to take it. They don't care. They don't see that e-entertainment online, whatever thing. But with tabletop RPGs, because we're, we get a chance to talk outside of the fiction, right? We have sidebars, we have introductions, we have opportunities to do that. You can then actually uh, be expressed about your intention. And so you can say from the beginning, this game is going to have these triggers in it. It's going to have this content. This is the direction that we wanted to put it and be extremely clear about your intention. And I think, you know, that is, that is how we can approach 
the difficulties of history in a way that says, like for example, with the Cerisian Crusade that I'm putting in, uh, there is a, a huge sidebar that's going in there that says we are not demonizing Christianity as a culture, but we are interrogating this this notion of extremism within the you know Christian movements and especially during the Crusades in this time period and porting that into the future. We have that opportunity to head that. Mom was about to curse on camera and whatever. Um, we have an opportunity to head that stuff off at the past by being reflexive in our writing. Uh, and that is one way to do it. And that's, you know, it is breaking and doing meta, like a lot. But I think that that's super important going forward if we're going to put difficult content into our works, which I believe very strongly is necessary, because otherwise we are, we are censoring our art in a way that is um, not really, you know, challenging anything. Right, and not really representing the, the sort of dichotomy of light versus dark that actually exists in this world. Um, so I believe in That's tension. a very Middle Eastern Manichaean idea. Uh, you know, we're trying to get outside of a Christian perspective. God, yeah, God damn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look how baked in it is. Um, but uh, but uh, on the other side of it also, then when you put the content in, you do have to interrogate it. You do have to do your, your research. You have to do all this stuff. So the, I, I agree on the middle of the robot, right? Like that, that part I'm pretty much there for. Um, but here's where I also differ. The head. You're not going to be able to control what they do. Like, you're not going to be able to control what the players do. It doesn't matter how much you... You can try. You're going to try and you're going to bend yourself over backwards and in a lot of cases, you know, rip yourself up internally when you're writing things and what if, what if, what if. Um, if a person wants to take, for example, your stuff and be racist at the table or anti-Semitic or whatever, they're going to find a way to do it. Like, that's just it. And what you can do, however, like, you can't... That's that's human nature. You can't control your players, and like you can't jump out of the book and be like, "Don't!" Like that's not your life. That's also weird physics and magic that we don't have. Um, but uh, I don't want there to be a big page with my face on it, being like, "Don't be racist!" Like that's not my life. I kind of want that. I could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> put that in your next book. But like, I mean, but you can you can write that in. Like, don't be racist. Don't do this at your table. You can try to do that, and they're just gonna be like, mm, "I'm just not gonna read page six where Shoshana scolds me," and then they're gonna go and do whatever they want, um, and they're gonna do that with their you know player tables. They're gonna do it. At cons. Everybody has had bad experiences, I'm sure. Um, but what you can do is also provide, uh, like I said, those introductions, but also safety features in games. Um, the, the rise of uh, safety mechanics in LARPs, for example, is huge about like uh, giving people the opportunity during games or around games or after games and before them to prepare for this content, to give uh, safety tools that you can use to de-escalate situations and to address content when it comes up at tables. The X card is huge for you know, tables and such. Um, these, these safety things that have been included now give us the opportunity as, does, we're not there, but the GM at the table sort of takes that role now and the players have this social contract that they have made with one another where they can say at the beginning of the game, okay, part of the, the rules of like us starting this game are to discuss what content is not gonna be in this game. And if it comes up, we now have the tools at the table to address it. Um, and that, that includes things for not just religion, it includes for, for all this content. Um, but there are, like, for example, those are bad stories, right? Like, we always try to think about the least common denominator. But with, what that also gives us to think in a positive manner is that it gives us uh, those tools for people who are responsible, who people who are approaching it from a, from a nuanced and in-depth and thoughtful way to actually uh, interrogate religion in an interesting way at the table and include the goods and the bads and really add that flavor and that depth to their game. But by pu putting this stuff in there, um, you're not divorcing yourself of responsibility, but you're actually uh, proving that you are thoughtful and responsible about taking care of your players um, and uh, giving them the tools to actually be responsible for themselves and to treat them like the adults they are because I, I refuse to baby players. Like, they're adults, they're picking up a book. Or they're not adults and they're children and they're picking up a book. But, like, th those tools need to be in there so that we can respect their autonomy uh, to make the stories that they want to tell. 
So that's Great. my feeling. I think we're gonna go this way. We're running. Um, so I think did you have something, Mary? Oh no. Okay, we're gonna go this okay, way. Okay, cool. So big thing I'm getting here is that games, writing games, is about uh, empowering your players to tell stories. Mm -hmm. What kind of stories do you like to tell when you're deconstructing religion? Um. So, ooh, those are fun. Racist ones. Racist ones. <laughs> yeah. Imperialist ones, colonialists, all of all of that. I, I want I want to talk about all of that. Yeah. And I, I, I want to talk about the story of... I want to talk about, like, the story of religions that, that break all these paradigms and religions that don't... I want to talk about religions that don't have gods, religions that don't have faith, religions that don't have morality, religions that don't have all the things that we associate with religion, and religions which do have other things, like... I don't know, there's religions with associated martial arts. There's religions with like associated art styles, which are, are, are bound into the religion. There's all of these things which other non-Western religions consider to be like integral. Um, that um, and I want I want to tell stories that highlight those things. Um, I'm not like even as a game designer, I'm not like super narrative focused. Um, but I really want to. I want to highlight those things and take those to their like to their logical extremes, um, and and find the fantasy that's there, um, in in the same way that that Ten Revanche Zero does by having like taking concepts about Shintoism and taking it to like the level of the Shinternet, um, like turning up the dials on parts of religions that people don't normally see and turning down the the others like. Uh, as I was mentioning to you the other day, Miriam, in when I did Seventh Seas version of Islam, I decided to base it on Sufism, which is sort of a marginal side thing for Islam in the world today. But I was curious what the world would have looked like if Sufism were the mainstream of Islam. Um, so turning up that dial, so you know, there's people drinking wine and writing long poems about it, which we don't normally associate with Islam these days. So that kind of thing, like turning up those weird dials. Yeah. For me, it's, um, I tend to like the idea of creating a larger toolbox and a framework for people to interrogate their own characters' personal feelings about religion and their relationships with it. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's hard for me to say that I can make these large sweeping uh, commentaries about other religions uh, just simply because I know that I'm at a deficit of knowledge and experience. So I'm going to give whatever toolbox I can as, as, responsibil as responsibly as I can. Uh, and then I love personal character driven like intense internal stuff and so the idea then that I can uh, give them the tools to say I want to interrogate how my character feels about you know being Christian in this setting or being Muslim in this setting or being uh, whatever religion is, is in that is where I like to go and give them space to, to create moral dilemma I, I love turning the screws on moral dilemmas and ethical questions and stuff like that so um, uh, giving people a chance to in, like internally take their character and have these debates and stuff uh, and, and tying it directly to the actions of the game because oftentimes I find that a character's religion is, is sort of something that gets tacked on uh, to a character uh, as sort of like, eh, I guess my character is also, you know, Shinto on top of being like this badass warrior who goes and like, you know, fights, you know, robots or whatever. But like, I want to bake that in enough that like it's part of the setting that becomes deeply important. Like uh, one of my characters when I played in an in a urban fantasy game uh, wouldn't go out and fight on Shabbos because that's just not something you do on Shabbos. 
And uh, I got it from watching episodes of Supernatural where there's a, a hunter who basically won't dig. He'll do certain things, but he always complains. He's like, I can't dig that grave to salt, uh, undig that grave to salt that body because it's still the Sabbath. You're going to have to do it. And they're like, God damn it, you're using an excuse because you don't want to dig up a corpse. And he's just like, nope, got another 25 minutes till the end of Shabbos. And it's just like, cool. That isn't, you know, putting it right into the and making it a part of it. So that's kind of the fun stuff that I like to, to make to make clear that religion to a lot of people is extremely integral to their characters and making it not just a tack on, which is, which is a weird thing that happens a lot. Z, you had, Z, um, you had something. So I was thinking about like writing as a minority, um, but also like um, how do you write about like cultures or groups that are somewhat close to yours, but like you're still not a part of it. Like as someone that's African-American, like there's certain things that I can't necessarily understand about African culture. Yeah. Um, and it's like, on one hand, yes, you do have the heritage and the connection to it, but there's certain things that I guess I feel like I don't have the right to speak on. Sure. To. Uh, can I talk about that for a second? Yeah. Briefly. Um, you know, I, I have a, a really weird relationship with my own like genetic background. Uh, I was adopted into a Jewish family, and I've got like no connection to my my heritage from genetics, like, or anything like that, um, but, I, and I became very, un, you know, uncomfortable with, like, talking about certain cultures that genetically I'm related to, but I have no, I have no right to speak to that experience, right, because I've never been attached to that, um, so it, it, it's a, it's a conflict, I think, that is very internal to a lot of people who have, um, it's a very American problem also, uh, it's, it's a problem for people who come from mixed race backgrounds, uh, who are you know, and, and it's a thing that I think we're all fighting with, and a lot of people who have that. Um, I think that research and you know and, and speaking to people from those cultures is important. And uh, but at the same time, you know, sometimes making games about interrogating that feeling is is, is important too, and that can reach people. Um, but it it is a problem. I don't have an answer for. I don't, and it's like you know I think that that's a super important uh, thing that we think about going forward, and especially especially when we talk about and this is. My, my pet peeve, and then I'll hand it to Mendez, and I think this, then we have to end. Uh, my pet peeve is how we interrogate these things with each other as designers and as, you know, in, in, in parlance on the internet and parlance in, in critique, is that we don't know each other's, like, backgrounds, and then when we speak to one another regarding who has a right to speak about certain things, we can't make assumptions about other people. Um, we, we shouldn't and we don't. We have to start assuming a little bit of positive intent um, in certain places. You can criticize the material, but criticizing people's right to speak about it is very, very touchy. Um, I had a situation recently where somebody went after somebody else saying that they don't have a right to talk about it as a, as a white man, and the person was not white, and, uh, at the, and basically just you know wiped that out pretty good right in front of this person because assumptions get made. And I think that you know, we have to be really careful about how we critique things uh, going forward. And that makes it hard to have these like, conversations and move forward. I don't have an answer, I'm sorry about that, but like, uh, do you have an answer? Because that would be cool. Uh, yeah, I spent the entire week dealing with the fact that um, I, I, I have a Kickstarter on for a, a Japanese game, but I'm, I'm Asian, but I don't have an Asian-sounding name, but I'm not Japanese. Um, so I've spent my entire week dealing with this, and I can go into the nitty-gritty of how I've been dealing with that kind of criticism. We don't have any time left, but I'll definitely happily talk to you about this afterwards. You, um, if you do this, you will get a lot of criticism, mostly from white people. Um, and uh, yeah, we can definitely talk about how to, how to deal with those concerns. Many of them are valid, and some of them are 
a little more annoying, but we're gonna be out in a second. But they are legit. Like that could be a whole panel on its own, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's actually something that on another panel we should talk about, mm -hmm. and it should be a part of our community going forward. But unfortunately, we don't have time today. Um, so I want to thank you all for coming uh, today. This is like a huge topic. We could have been here for like two hours talking about it. But um, if you are interested in having more of this conversation, come and talk to us. Um, I'm inviting them to talk to you. I'm sorry about that. But like, <laughs> please come and talk to me. I do a lot of talking about this on the internet. Uh, I like to say if you can spell my name, you can find me on the internet. Uh, that's pretty much how it works. Uh, but thank you guys so much for coming out on a Sunday morning. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you so thank much. You. So, Yeah. Now we can get out of people's way. Actually, yeah. I, uh, you're super busy these days. But I have a thing I'd like to talk to you about. Yeah. Hi. Let's Sarah talk Hopkins. a little bit. James I mean, I have an hour break nice now. Let me at least give you the recommended. Sure, yeah, yeah. I want to go outside. I want to give them their room. What are you doing? Awesome. Awesome.